The issues that matter most, right here. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. 86% of American men work more than 40 hours a week. And 66% of American women work over 40 hours a week. We work a lot, even though since 1950, the average American has increased their productivity by over 400%. So since 1950, we're working even more because in 1960, only 20% of the American families had both moms and dads at work. And right now, there's over 70% of American families having both moms and dads, not at work just because they want to, but work because they feel like they need to. It's the Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Yeah, three, uh, uh, boy, that was, uh, I think Michael, was it Father Michael Schmitz? I'm trying to recall, I was about to go in another direction, but I want to give him credit. He gave some of those stats in a talk he gave last year. I think it was Focus, uh, their seat conference, uh, 23. And uh, you can watch the whole video there on their YouTube channel. But uh, he talked about the dignity of work and yet the stark reality that so many people, you know, hate what they do. Do you hate your job? You're like, Drew, I can't wait to get out. Another hour to bank. you know, Or you're maybe in your car right now saying, you have no idea. I'm counting the days down to retirement. I, I don't know. You know, work, if you hate it, I think it'd be a four-letter word, right? It really can. It's horrible. But um, gosh, if you find what you love, work is just quite the opposite. And there's so much going on right now. I, th- I think we're living in a different time. There's so many changes happening in our society on so many levels. I think it's hard to keep track of them. One of those is uh, is how we work. You know, the pandemic had a fundamental impact on that. Before the shutdown in March of 2020, you'd get up, get into your car, fight rush hour traffic, get to the office, you know, or the shop or the factory or Wherever you were going, there was a routine for a lot of Americans, just like getting back into the car and driving home in rush hour. You know, a lot of you hung out with me. Well, the shutdown changed a lot of that. And uh, right now, a lot of people are working from home, and they want to stay working from home. I know several uh, people who I've spoken to who say, I, I want to change my job. For example, one guy I know, he makes a six-figure salary. He's in finance, right? He works for a Fortune 500 company. and um, he gets to work out of Chicago. His company is in San Francisco. And he says, ah, I'm going to quit my job. I said, you're quit your job. I said, six-figure salaries aren't easy to come by. He said, oh, I'm going to try to find another one. He says, but, you know, this company wants to bring everybody back to the office. So I, I don't know. I, I, I want to make sure I work from home. Because he's working remotely. He might have to fly out every once in a while. And I'm thinking, that's such a crazy mindset, you know. Stocks and Zoom soared during uh, these online meetings, you know, and it, Zoom changed a lot of things. Uh, pandemic ended, people didn't rush back to the office, right? They don't want to go back. It's kind of nice to stay from home and maybe multitask. Um, we're seeing a huge impact right now in commercial real estate. Elon Musk had warned about that about a year and a half ago. Uh, a lot of these buildings are, are empty. They're being turned into apartments and, and other things. But also impacting how younger people look at work is changing. Um People just don't want the hassle of commute. Are you willing to make less and stay home or go into the office and make a little bit more? I thought we could unpack all this. There's just This is just some of what we can dive into today. And I'd love to hear from you, too. Feel free to join me. The number to get into the studio is 
9149 I'm joined right now by Bruce Lockenauer, the founder and managing partner of the Gaudium Group, an executive search firm that you can find at that website, thegaudiumgroup.com, G-A-U-D-I-U-M group.com. Bruce, good to have you back. Good afternoon. Drew, good afternoon. Always a pleasure. Uh, so much, there's so many directions we can go in here. I was thinking about this earlier. I've been tracking a lot of, of different stories where uh, there are people who prefer to work from home. There are people who are being fired and going online with that and kind of you know, talking about no job. Hey, no shame. I don't care. A lot to get into. Let's start here. A lot of people look at work uh, as making up the entirety of their lives or uh, they love it. It's a mission. It's a passion. Others look at it like drudgery. They get out of the old salt mine. Um, as Catholics, you know, how should we look at work? What's the proper attitude to have towards? Let's let's start maybe with, with with that foundation. We can talk about some of these other things. Sounds great, Drew. Sounds great. You know, I have to give credit to a mutual friend of ours, Andreas Widmer, who has written about this and talks about work in a way I had never heard before. Because you know, as as a practicing Catholic, I went to Harvard Business School. I was thinking, okay, and then we have our little ethics class, and it just it wasn't, there wasn't any unity of life in that. It felt like something separate. Um, yeah. And it also felt like, well, gee whiz, either you have integrity or you don't, you're gonna live out your life uh, in, in that manner or not. What Andreas says is, is really beautiful and insightful, I think. And he said that, if, think about the simple concept of business, Drew. You sell something to a client, they pay a price for it. It costs you something less to produce it. And the difference between that the price that they're paying and what it costs you is value you've created. So business is about creating value. And, and this, is, this is value that didn't exist before you or I existed in the workplace and created that value. So business is, it can be seen through the supernatural light of co-creating. If you think about back, you know, in Genesis, when, when, uh, when uh, uh, God says to go out and uh, multiply and, and conquer the earth, you know, and that's kind of what we've done with all the innovation and all the things that, that we've produced. But I like that way of thinking about work as creating value. You know, the, the, the other thing that I really like is this, uh, this uh, servant leader mentality or, or way of, of, of thinking of things, because, you know, our Lord comes, and he washes the disciples' feet. And Peter says, no, no, no. He says, no, yeah, I have to do this. Okay, wash now on my feet, my head. The, the, the servant leader who comes and asks his clients, what can I do for you? How can I help you? Finds ways he can help his client. It's a, it turns into a competitive advantage. The same is true with that same leader, Drew, in, within his own company. If he is talking to his peers and his subordinates, the people that work for him, he or she, and saying, how can I help you? How can you grow? You know, what can I do to, to help you in your, your professional journey so we can all create value for our clients and for our colleagues? That's beautiful. It creates a culture, Drew, where that company is going to be unstoppable. And, and there are examples of companies like that. So um, yep. you work, yeah, in addition to sanctifying ordinary work. No, so, I, I think it's a great place to start. Yeah, you know, we're, we're living in a little bit of a different time. Uh, we're witnessing, I, th I would argue, a seismic shift in the American workforce and their expectations. Uh, you know, post-pandemic, Bruce, there was this clarion call for not just flexibility in, in location, but 
you know, uh, a lot of people want to control over when work happens. Uh, and now I know a lot of employers are like, hey, we want you back in office, right? We want you back here. Uh, and there's been research done on this. I think the verdict's in. I mean, these flexible work schedules um, seem not to decrease productivity. Uh, people feel like their depression's eased. They're not burning out as fast. But they're also not getting raises either. The guy that goes to work, the woman that goes to work, seems to statistically get get more money. Um, break it all down for us. Where are we right now? Has the workforce changed or are employers now saying, hey, I got these empty buildings. I want you back in. Well, Drew, there is value to having those workers together, especially for the younger workers, people younger in their career that are still learning and growing. And from that culture perspective, uh, you have to be there with others to kind of drink in the culture. It's hard to do it through a screen on Zoom or meet our teams or what have you to really understand what what behaviors, you know, work, what behaviors are acceptable, what behaviors uh, move things forward and create value in this company versus other companies. So let me let me let me go. I'm going to I'm an economist, Drew. My uh, my undergraduate degree was in econ, and I still love that that topic and, and like going into it. I think we're in flux on this whole dynamic of going back to work. The market's going to determine where we end up. And, and as you said, I think there is a strong pull by the labor, by, by the labor talent to want to stay uh, to work remotely and have flex hours, all those good things, which makes sense. I mean, if you can go and see your kids volleyball game and, and what have you, and yet get your work done and do well, you'll be more productive. You're not commuting, et cetera. The cost of that though. So on uh, the, the good news is too, the church has got a lot of writings from JP two, who, who wrote a whole encyclical on, on work to uh, Pope Francis. Um, but what Pope Francis says, and, and I like it, because this will pull out the issue I think that we're missing, is you've got to sure. be together so that people can grow. And it, it's kind of the way we're, that we're wired. So Pope Francis said that uh, work should be a setting for rich personal growth, where many aspects of life enter into play. Creativity, planning for the future, developing our talents, living out our values, relating to others, and giving glory to God. You know, we're human beings. We thrive on, on, on interacting with other human beings. And it's tough if you're, if you're looking at a screen in a, in, a, in a cubby in your house, you know, 24 hours, I mean, 8, 10, 12 hours a day. Yeah, but a lot of young people, and, and you know, I, I don't know, feel free to join us too. You can sound off. Love to hear about your own work experience. Do you enjoy working from home? Is there a benefit to being in there? Maybe you are an employee. Maybe you're the employer. Have you seen a decrease in productivity, an increase in it? Young people are starting to insist on working from home. And, and yeah, I, I'm with you. I kind of, you know, I, I broadcast from a, a studio. I could do this, this show from anywhere in the country if I want to do it. I could do it from my home office. I could do it. In, but coming in and having my producer, my call screener, and all my team around me, uh, it makes such a big difference, a dynamic here, seeing other people, praying together. I mean, there is, I, I don't know, it, it's, it's energizing, and I think there's something a little bit different than if I'm, you know, sitting in a, uh, a hotel room or an office or, or somewhere else because uh, the show's on the road or I decide to, to do it remotely. Yet this next generation, and I shared that story while you were in queue here, about the guy I know, he's 30 years old, 32 years old, works for a Fortune 500 company, makes good salary, and he doesn't want to go into the office, so he might look for another job. Uh, people are starting to in, insist on that. Is, is that a good idea for them? And, and you know, maybe it's good for some people and not for others. I don't know. 
I think you're right, Drew. I think it's good for some people and, and maybe not as good for others. The your friend, how old is he? Yeah, he's he 30, 30 or thirty two. The guy, the the, the guy yeah. was talking to me. Yeah. He was telling me about so, his situation. So he said, if he was twenty two, I would say that would be um, career suicide. Yeah, that you're not going to grow as much as you could. I was, I had uh, a young friend who I've I've coached as he uh, graduated from college, working for a large financial uh, services company, a great company, and their culture is fantastic because. Their culture is all about relationships. Yeah. Now they don't. They only. They're moving towards going in fifty percent. And what he does is he reaches out to people to make to say, "I'd like to sit down with you and, and chat with you," because that's their culture. They do it. Um, so he is going to grow rapidly. On the other hand, if you're, I, I know um, an employee, uh, a, 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 and it's not only young. I mean, older people like it too. So I, I know of a, a of a uh, single woman who's further along in her career and. She left the company because she likes to go in. She likes to interact with her peers. Yeah. It's it's a big it's a good social outlet yeah. for her. And this particular company is working remotely. So I think it's very individual specific. But I think there is a, a an overriding theme of needing to provide an environment for mentorship and growth for the young, the newer and younger employees. Well, you know what I found interesting. We'll, we'll take some Twitter calls. We'll take your telephone calls here in a second. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. The um. The, the, I was reading a report on on raises, and they were saying that people who go into the office and are there, they're the ones that get the pay increase. You know, it's the person that is working remotely that kind of gets looked over, and the hybrid worker kind of falls somewhere in between. What is it about that? I, you know, sometimes familiarity breeds contempt. You know, they have that saying, if you're around there, oh, it's just... Bruce, it's just Drew, right? Oh, the person who works remotely and they see occasionally but still performs. Wow, he's something special. Or is it the opposite? Is the guy that comes in, Bruce and Drew, who are the soldiers, we're going to promote him. We're going to give him a bigger bump this year. How does it work in the in the psyche of the employer regarding those who decide to re- work remotely? And what's that data, you know, uh, reveal? See, it's not only it's not only compensation, Drew. They could they get raises or bonuses that are better than those that don't go into the office, but it's also promotions. They're more visible. We're human beings. We interact with people. If you interact skin to skin, face to face with somebody, it makes a different impression than if you see them, you know, as one of, of several boxes on your on your uh, PC monitor. So I think it's human nature, Drew. It's I don't think you have to go that deep that the more you see and interact with someone, you also, you know, we also enjoy that. I think you start to like the people and people yeah. promote and the yeah, bonuses to people they like. I like that. Uh, Maggie's on Twitter. If you want to send us a, a post on X, it's, it's at Drew Mariani Show. You can sound off there as well. If you want to join us, I'll go to the phones in a second at 888 9149. Maggie, what's coming in? Yeah, Bruce, we got a tweet from Edie. She says, I want to retire. But I'm a 70-year-old widow, so I still have to support not only myself, but also my 43-year-old son who can't make enough money on his own. What kind of job can I do working from home, and how would I find that? Thank you very much. Great. Um, Edie, sorry to hear about your predicament there. It's uh, part of life, unfortunately. We find ourselves, everyone does at some point in life, in a difficult situation. Uh, what I, I've... I've constantly uh, preach this to executives and students and others that are trying to change where they are. And that is you have, especially later in life, the beauty you know, of, of, of being, having all that experience if you've got a ton of relationships. 
And now with LinkedIn and other tools, you can track those relationships and find people. So I, I had uh, coffee this morning with a buddy of mine who's also an executive recruiter, and he also coaches senior executives. Mm -hmm. And he, he said he gives people an assignment and says, well, first of all, you need to figure out what your value proposition is. Drew, what are you good at? What do you love doing? What do you want to do? And then who do you know that you can reach out to and ask them for their help? We're human beings. We like to help other people. We've been helped along the way. And I, I know I have been helped along the way, and I feel an obligation to help others along the way because it's very easy for me because I've got that wisdom and experience to share things with them. So uh, he suggests, and I would suggest this to you, Edie, that you go and reach out to the people you know. Maybe it's 200 people, maybe it's 500 people, wow. and ask them for help. Tell them your situation, what you're good at, what you'd like to do, and ask them for their thoughts. And what will happen along the road and then follow up again in about two or three months because they're going to assume you found something and if you haven't you follow up with them and say hey i've seen some activity you know what what have you but what you're going to find is someone your, your friends are going to say oh it's great to hear from you you know sorry you're in this situation but happy to hear that you're doing well you're healthy etc you should talk to Susie or sam or for, oh, oh my gosh i didn't think about it we might have something for you that's how it works true you don't ask for a job Yes, for help. All right, let's go to the phones. Ed's in Vallejo, California. Ed, thanks for waiting so long. Good afternoon. Problem. Uh, hi, guys. Uh, I retired from the post office, and uh, it was good. I had good pay, good benefits, but the stress was like I worked in a vehicle maintenance, and it was like, hurry up, hurry up, get it out, get it out, get it out. They're going to close the post office down. They're going to close it down. And for 25 years, I had to listen to that. And they put people in there, that, bosses in there that didn't know nothing about vehicles or anything. Anyway, that just the stress. The pay was good and everything else. And that, but going from San Francisco to where I live in Vallejo, it was like, holy smoke, man, two hours on, to get across the bridge sometimes. And by the time you get home, you're tired, you eat, you go to bed, you get up, you got to go to work again. Well, anyway, I'm retired now, and I'm working, I work at St. Vincent de Paul at church. Keep your faith, the main thing. And make sure that when you retire, you got to remember it's not the same. You're not going to have overtime pay or nothing. You're going to live on a certain amount of money. So you got to watch that and, you know, to take care of your family and everything. Okay. But other than that, I mean, I'm doing well. I got my Social Security and my pension. So, yeah. And well, I got it's St. Vincent de Paul. Really, yeah. I love it. I love it. it, yeah. it thank you. Go ahead, Bruce. Yeah. Ed, um, uh, Congrats. I'm glad you found something uh, that post your, your, uh, your post off af after your postal career there. Um, I, I personally don't like the American concept of retirement that, okay, yeah. you work until you're 65, you hang it up, you watch TV, you play golf, you know, you have uh, uh, iced tea on the, on the patio. We're not made for that. God made us to deliver the value we talked about earlier to contribute to society. So happy to hear about that St. Vincent de Paul. And I encourage people to do just what we talked to Edie about, which is figure out what, you know, what you like doing and what your strengths are, what your talents are and, and where you can employ those to, to, again, bring value. You may not, you have social security, you may not need to make as much money and there may be other things you want to do, but stay productive, stay in the game. Yeah. All right. Hey, thank you. Ron's in uh, Los Angeles. Ron, good afternoon. Good afternoon, gentlemen, and good afternoon, Drew, Drew my uh, brother from another mother, as they say. Right, wasn't that uh, the line way back when? Thank you, Ron. Yeah. Good to have you here. Um, thank you. My my quick background, I've been 10 years off the road due to multiple physical issues, now 63. My um, 
homespun talents that God gave me were in electronics, and I've been trying to do my best with it. The business has been extremely slow, and I've been trying to deal with things as best I can. I'm not, not able to collect anything from the government, so I'm basically on my own here. Um, I'm trying to figure out the best ways to expand my electronic service that I had been doing on the road, but now from home. Uh, a lot of my business is word of mouth, but in this day and age in online service and things, I'm trying to figure out uh, the best way to be known and get out there and do what I do and allow you know people to take advantage of my my service skills so, so vice Bruce? Uh, yeah yeah ron um i'm not exactly sure what your electronic services are but let me just guide you towards a book which will familiarize you with all the different ways you can get word out there it's called entrepreneurial you uh i forget the author's name it'll come to me while we're talking here but entrepreneurial you it talks about how you can raise awareness. You know, via, you've got word of mouth now, but how you can take that, have in effect, electronic word of mouth on what you do so that you can build the volume of your business and, and succeed. I think, uh, sorry about that. No problem. Um, so, Ron, I wish you well on that. There are, yeah. there, are, there are ways to reach out. It sounds like you got something you, got something you like, you got something that people see value in. Yeah. Get the word out. You can do it. Bruce, let's move along because we only have a uh, little bit of time. Belva Please. Jean is listening to us in Illinois. Hi, Belva Jean. Hi, Patrick. It's true, but go right ahead. Good to have you. <laughs> <laughs> They're both great guys. I, I always just I always just answer whenever people call me Patrick. I never, I never tend to point it out, but good to have you with me, Belva. I'm sorry. I know it's I know it's you, but my mind is always on Patrick. I wake up to him. That's great. And anyway, I wanted to make a comment regarding uh, remote workers. I myself am a 70 year old remote worker, and I work with the team of people that all work remote, and we are highly productive. Mm. And there's no discretion as to whether or not you are working remote or working on site when it comes to compensation, at least not in the industry that I work in, which I'd rather not mention. Okay. So I do know that there are many benefits to going into the office, but I have learned since being re working remote since the beginning of COVID that you can also form those same relationships That's working great. remote. Pelvic and we are a proven team. I love it. That's, that's great. Um, you know, in Zoom and, and Skype and all these other platforms, teams, they, they really have helped Bruce bring people together, you know, and I think in the future, there'll be the virtual goggles and a lot of other things. I feel like you're in the room with everybody, but um, so, I mean, she sees something a little bit different. I have a couple minutes left for you, Bruce. Let me give you some final thoughts on, on these issues too. There's so much we still need to talk about, but I'll have to bring you back to dive into some of those issues. You bet, Drew. Um, Lots of issues that we, we discussed, but the, 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 I think the message to our listeners is to reframe the way you think about work. And it's and, and um, take advantage of whatever you have. I mean, Belda there, great. She's got a relationship with her team uh, via, and it's all virtual or killing it. Fantastic. But be, you know, the, the key thing, Drew, in, in being happy, as we talked about with what you do, is I think twofold. Um, well, threefold. I mean, it's, it's to be grateful. <laughs> yeah. Grateful people are happy people. But 
more important, as important is to find out you know, what are you good at and what do you like? What are your passions? And pursue those and look at it through the lens of our faith, which is God put us here to co-create, to help build whatever we're building or whatever we're doing, and to do that with an eye towards service. Mm-hmm. As our Lord served, he came to serve, serving your customers, your clients, yeah. and your colleagues. And Drew, I think you'll be happy, even if it's a tough environment. If it's a tough job, yeah. hey, there are jobs out there. Uh, the economy added 3 million jobs last year, yeah. 350,000 yeah. new jobs in January. There are opportunities. Now, it's, yeah. I mean, we can go to that more on some other show. But uh, don't think that you know, if you're not happy, I mean, and, and because it's not playing to your strengths and uh, it's not a passion of yours, make a move. So, Bruce, before I let you go, your website, I know you are the founder of managing partner there of uh, the Gaudium Group. Uh, it's an executive search firm. If people want to tap into your expertise, and I think you're an excellent person to talk to, especially from that Catholic perspective, what's the best way to, to reach out to you? You, thegaudiumgroup.com. It's Bruce at thegaudiumgroup.com. I didn't put lock in hour at thegaudiumgroup.com. I think it would have broken a keyboard, Drew. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been a little harder to spell. That sounds good. All right, Gaudium, G-A-U-D-I-U-M, group.com. Check it out. Enjoy and delight. Hey, Bruce, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. I look forward to the next time we talk. Drew, my pleasure, always. Thank you. That's Bruce lock in hour. Check out his website again, thegaudiumgroup.com com G-A-U-D-I-U-M group.com, especially if you are right now uh, as an executive and you are looking for a position. Uh, I think Bruce got some great advice, and uh, you can tap into that. It's bottom of the hour. When I come back, uh, I want to address another issue that has come up. I mean, I, I am always concerned when I hear world leaders threaten the use of nuclear weapons, and maybe you're just joining me. Uh, we had... Gosh, we just heard some very troubling news from Vladimir Putin, where he sent out a warning to uh, to NATO, to the West. He's threatening nuclear war, the destruction of civilization, if intervention, boots on the ground, takes place with Ukraine. Um, I'll tell you what the rest of the world is saying about that, and we'll talk about a simple solution to disengage that. I think it was given to us decades ago. I'll be joined by somebody who can share with you something that I think will have a profound impact. Stay with me. The hope lives here. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Hey, looking for a new job? How about one that offers opportunities for spiritual, social, and charitable growth? Our sponsor, Catholic Order of Foresters, is hiring new agents today. Visit relevantradio.com slash Forrester. An Illinois Life Insurance Society, not available in all states. Vladimir Putin has warned NATO countries they risk nuclear war if they send troops to Ukraine. Putin told Russians in his speech that he would be stationing more soldiers in Russia's west, close to new NATO members, Finland and Sweden. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. I shared earlier that Vladimir Putin has threatened once again to use nuclear weapons against the countries that he perceives to be his enemies. And he told Russian parliament in his annual address to them, he said this, he said, Western nations must realize that we also have weapons that can hit targets on their territory. All this really threatens a conflict with the use of nuclear weapons and the destruction of civilization. Don't they get that? 
Let me just repeat that last line. All of this, he says, threatens a conflict with the use of nuclear weapons and the destruction of civilization. Now, that came right after the president of France, uh, President Emmanuel Macron. He said that NATO should put boots on the ground. We should do it in Ukraine, support them, since Russia has got to be stopped. Uh, the uh, European Commission president suggested, yeah, maybe we should just take the the assets that we have of of Russia that have been frozen. We'll use them for the war effort, and we'll we'll buy weapons for for you know for the war to support Ukrainians. Look, both those ideas I think are, are being walked back, but the the threat of nuclear war, the devastating consequences that would come. Uh, you know, it's just, it's unimaginable. It's just, you know, I pray to God, you know, this is blustering and saber rattling, and I'm assuming it is. But then again, I think about Our Lady, man. She came at the turn of the 19th century and across the decades, really, if you think about it, you know, La Salette and Fatima, and you go throughout the the 20th century, calling us to pray, to return to God, to amend our lives. Fatima is such a great example of her warning about future events that were to unfold and how they came true in grisly detail. Cabejo, Rwanda is the same thing. When she came there warning exactly what was going to happen. And what did she do in both these places? She called us to pray. Pray, pray, pray is what she said. You know, I hope you pick up your rosaries. I hope you pray your rosary daily. I hope you pray the chaplet with me daily. I hope you are asking God for mercy on, on the world protection over this country, the conversion of our leaders. Our Lady of Fatima made it very clear that if Russia was not converted, that she would spread her errors throughout the world. Russia did. Take a look at what happened. You saw the venom, the poison of communism. But even when the Iron Curtain fell, right, communism officially ended, um, it still... It's, it's the tentacles of it are still manifest in different parts of the world. Vladimir Putin, 71 years old. He served in the KGB. And he thought one of the greatest catastrophes of the 20th century was the collapse of the Soviet Union. And he longs for the days when that Soviet empire, you know, when Russia had all of those satellite countries, you know, under its influence. He longs for that day again. He wants to rebuild that empire. And according to him, I'm using his words, not mine, he seems willing to destroy civilization to maintain and even expand that grip on power. Um, I, I don't want anyone to fear. I don't fear. I, I think about uh, his eminence who was on with me a little bit earlier, Cardinal Burke, and, and he talked about what happened in 1531. I mean, human sacrifice was rampant. The Aztec Empire was powerful. And what happens? The mother of God comes, right? And what ha we see the defeat of this, this demon, right? Uh, clearly, of human sacrifice. We, we, you know, the people who are living under that, they must have thought it would never end. I, I think about those in the concentration camps of Auschwitz and Treblinka and all the other places, Birkenhaus, right? 1940s, right? Your, your people are being turned into ash and set up through smokestacks. They're being tortured and experimented on. 
How could you ever imagine that within just a few years they would be dismantled, to be over, right? Good always conquers evil. So don't fear when you hear this type of stuff. But do what we're called to do, and that is to, it's, it's to pray. It's the only thing you can do, right? It's the only thing you can do. The intercession of Our Lady is powerful. And she promised that if we prayed, we picked up our rosary, we prayed for peace, we prayed the chaplet, you know, if you do penance, if you spend time with our Lord, if you ask God for his mercy, we'll get it. That, that's what we're called to do right now, to pray and to fast, to do penance, to amend our ways, and to ask God for his mercy. I've invited to join me today Barb Ernster. She's communica- uh, communications director for the World Apostle of Fatima and the Blue Army. And this is for Saturday coming up. So I thought, you know, this is something that's often overlooked, not employed. And yet they're great promises to First Saturday Devotion. And I'll tell you, it'll transform you this Lent, but it'll also transform the world. You can learn more about Barb at BlueArmy.com. She joins me right now. Barb, thanks for being here today. Well, thanks for having me. A lot of things going on in the world, but there's so many ways that we can help join with Our Lady and fight this. I truly believe she's interceding in our world right now. And, and, you know, these, these... messages coming from Vladimir Putin and the scary things happening everywhere. It's, it's, um, it's something that we, as you said, we shouldn't be afraid, but that we should be willing to join with our lady and to do what we can to bring down God's grace and mercy upon our world right now. And we can do that with these wonderful devotions like the first Saturday and even the first Friday tomorrow. Uh, yeah. Bring us back in time. Cause I think, I think Fatima is such a beautiful example it's such a parallel to our own times. I mean, back in 1917, the Bolshevik Revolution was uh, underway. Um, we know about World War One raging, the Spanish flu uh, had erupted. I mean, we we know about this little era, this whole the, the, these these years that surrounded the Fatima apparition, and what Our Lady had had warned. Um, our Lady gave us the solution. She asked us to pray the rosary. She gave us first Saturday devotion. Bring us back historically and, and, and paint a picture for what ultimately happened. And all that could have been avoided. And maybe draw the parallel to our own day. Well, you know, back in the 1930s and after 1929, when Lucia got the message that the time had come for the request of the consecration of Russia, it was meant for that time. 1929 was, you know, right before the the war was going to, break out within 10 years. So the church had 10 years to listen to her. And when it wasn't happening, she kept appealing for the spread of the devotion to the Immaculate Heart through the first Saturday devotion. And she said, um, Our Lady had told her there were, you know, whether there was going to be war or peace in the world depended on the practice of this devotion. And that, you know, she promised to postpone the scourge of war if this devotion was spread in practice. And the church did not approve it until 1939 after the war had broken out. But Lucia had worked so hard to get it spread anyway, and she she would often throw up her hands and say, all I can do is pray and make sacrifice. And that's kind of how we're at today. We don't know what, you know, what the church will do. We don't know what President Putin will do. We don't know what our own country will do. But we can certainly join with her and make these sacrifices and pray our rosaries and trust. And one of the things I always say, you know, we're in the time of Lent. Our sacrifices can mean nothing unless we're joined to the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. That was something that St. Faustina said. And when we join to the sacrifices of Christ on the cross, it has the power to appease the divine wrath. I mean, Our Lady had told the children that war was a punishment for sin. 
we have a very sinful country. This country is turned away from God, pushed him out of the public square. We are trying to steal God out of the souls of our very children, and we're exporting that around the world. We're, you know, God may be using Russia to chastise us. We don't mm-hmm. know. Yep. So we, we should take this very seriously, but we should take seriously that Our Lady also intervenes. You know, during the third part of the secret, she, you know, we show the angels about to strike the earth and it's going to light the, the earth on fire. And Lucia even had a vision of what a, a nuclear war would look like. Whoa. But Mary holds up her hand and stops the angel. And then you see all these people walking to the cross. So we need to be those people that are willing to go all the way to the cross and join with Christ. And what's happening? The angels are picking up the, the blood of the martyrs and sprinkling it on those making their way to the cross. Well, that's us. There's strength. We're being strengthened by the blood of the martyrs of the 20th century. And we should be happy and proud to be part of this army that Our Lady has called on earth to help her. So I never knew that she had a vision of a nuclear war. What did she say? How did she describe it? What happened? Well, it was right before she wrote down the third part of the secret. Oh, she wow. actually saw what would happen when the angel struck the earth. And wow. it looked like, you know, the the clouds and the elements and you know, hundreds of millions of people killed and buried, you know, whole cities buried and uh-huh. the clouds and the and the waters, you know, lifting up out of their elements and swallowing whole sections of the earth. I mean, it was terrible. It's, it could have been a comet striking, mm-hmm. but it sounded like very much like a nuclear war, a nuclear strike. So that's what she saw before she wrote down the third secret. Well, it kind of makes sense in some respects. And I think that's probably what she did say. Of course, it could be a comment, but you take a look at, um, you know, the the rise of nuclear weaponry in the world and the ability to annihilate nations, another part of that of that particular prophecy. Uh, boy, it, it, should, it should drive everyone to pick up their rosary, pick up their chaplet, spend time mm-hmm. with the Lord, to pray, to sacrifice, to do penance, do whatever you can, ask God for... His mercy, and I, I think we're in a very special time. I, I do. I think God responds to to these prayers, but you know, we can we watch these global events, Barb, and then we just turn a blind eye and think, "Oh, that's really horrible." I hope something like that doesn't happen, and we go about and continue our life, you know, kind of apathetically and blindly. Um, I'm going to take a break. When we come back, let's talk a little bit more. Uh, love to take a few calls for you if you want to join us. Uh, the number to get in, 888-914-9149. I only have another 10 minutes or so left to hang out with you today, but it's always good to hear from you. And I want to fill you in on um, First Saturday Devotion. This Saturday is going to be the first Saturday of the month. And our lady asked for people to keep a special devotion to her on this day. And I know this might be new to so many people. I'm going to plug you into something that I think moves the heart of heaven and will certainly bring down great grace for you and for all that you pray for. That and more when I return. Connecting you to the truths of your Catholic faith. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Hey, today we'd like to thank Santi, who's listening in Maine, for donating his 1983 Jaguar XJ6. You can join thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles, trucks, boats, and RVs by visiting relevantradio.com slash car. That's relevantradio.com slash car. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Wake up and get yourself to church, yeah. Wake up and get yourself to church, yeah. 
good advice, right? Wake up and get yourself to church. If you are away from the faith, like I want to encourage you to come back, especially if you're Catholic, get the confession. It will be a game changer for you. And, uh, you know, you'll meet the Lord truly present in those sacraments there. So I always want to invite you to come home. If you listen to me, uh, I'm telling you, it'll be the best decision of your of your life. If you're just joining me, you know, I was talking off air to my, my guest, Barb Ernster. She hails from the... From the Blue Army, you can check out bluearmy.com. She's the communication director for uh, the World of Positive Fatima. And actually, Barbie, I think you're national director now, too, I think. Am I, am I correcting you? What's your new title? The um, uh, I'm national coordinator. National I'm also coordinator. in charge of our divisions around the country. Well, it's so good to have you here. We were talking during during the break, and, and one of the things that I said to Barb, I said, you know, I, I, I don't think Vladimir Putin's going to do this. You know, it's, it's probably more sable-rattling. He's threatened this in the past. But in light of what Sister Lucia had seen, and in light of all of these other reported messages that often come and how the world's rejected God, your message kind of haunted me a little bit. Maybe God will chastise or punish the human race through Russia. And you said we have to take this seriously. And it's not just praying the rosary for the conversion of Russia and for protection, but to your point, you know, whole cities were annihilated in this vision. Um, it's it's so important that we get our hearts and our souls right with God. And if you're away from confession, get back. If you are in mortal sin right now, man, do yourself a favor. Get out of it, right? Eternity's a long time, and hell is real. And uh, the, these messages, these events that take place, when I hear them, Barb, I said, we have such a tremendous opportunity to invite people not just to pray, but to amend their own lives. And of course, we've got the first Saturday devotion as well. So I'll let you address what we were talking about, but also bring people through what Our Lady asked in Fatima about first Saturday devotion and what it would result in. I want to say, when we went back to talking about Sister Lucia's vision, and we said it could have been a comment, but she did say anger and ambition caused the destructive war. Oh, well, there you go. That's what nuclear. What she saw wasn't destructive war. It was nuclear. And it was ambition. Anger. Isn't that what's going on anger. in our world? There's so oh, much yeah. ambition among these countries fighting for power. So we should take this seriously. And what I love about the First Saturday Devotion is it gets you to confession every month. You know, that's the time. It's a good reminder that, you know, Our Lady asked for confession because she needs our hearts cleaned out. We have to be cleaned out so we can receive the grace and God's movement in our soul so we can he can use us. I always say it's a wonderful reminder that it's time for confession again. And the more you go, I'm telling you, the more you're going to see. So you will never run out of things to confess. But you're letting God's light shine in your soul, and then you're being prepared. You're going to lessen your time in purgatory if you're spending time working on stuff while you're here on earth. Amen. So we're asked to, to receive Holy Communion. Now, this can be at a morning, Saturday morning Mass. It can be at the anticipatory Mass, because you're offering the Holy Communion in reparation for the blasphemies against the Immaculate Heart. You're not offering your Mass. You're offering your Holy Communion. And so if you can't get to a Saturday morning Mass, but you can get to the 5 o'clock Mass and go then offer your communion at 5 o'clock at that Mass. <clears throat> Say your your rosary, five decades of the rosary, and then spend an extra 15 minutes with Our Lady, keeping her company and meditating on the other mysteries of the rosary. And so, you know, it's a very simple, it's a very simple devotion. And it's, it's a, a lot of people can get most of it done on a Saturday morning before you go out and do the rest of your shopping. It's, you know, it's, I love to get it all done in one shot. You can get to Mass and Confession, say your rosary. You can be done in an, in an hour, you know. But it's a beautiful way to honor the Immaculate Heart. And you're making reparation, Drew, 
for all of these blasphemies that really stem from the centuries-old schisms that have happened. The first one with, you know, between the Eastern Orthodox and the Roman Catholic Church, they don't really accept the Immaculate Conception the way we do. So you're making reparation for that. You're making reparation for those who don't accept the perpetual virginity of, of Mary, for those who don't accept her as Mother of God, Mother of Mankind. You know, these are ways that Protestants, Protestantism um, also, you know, diminished Mary's role. So we're trying to repair the body of Christ in these by making reparation for these, and we're, we're repairing. And so that's one thing that we are looking at, you know, over in Russia, ever since this war started, the Orthodox Church is in chaos. There's many things happening where so many different Orthodox, um, they're, they're leaving the Russian Orthodox Church and they're going with, they're aligning with others. And so there's a lot of chaos going on there. So we have no idea what Our Lady's doing, but wouldn't it be wonderful if part of her triumph was a repair of that first schism between the Roman Catholic and Orthodox Church. Wow, that's powerful. That would be fantastic. And you know, John Paul II talked about the, you know, that we're still one in one body, but two lungs of the church. Let's, uh, you know, let, let's go through what we need to do this this first Saturday for those who, who want to know. Uh, you receive Holy Communion, right, for five consecutive Saturdays. You go to confession. Yes. Recite the five decades of the rosary on the on, on first Saturdays and then meditate also on the mysteries of the rosaries. What do you do? Walk somebody through who's just learning about this. And also, you know, they may be in their car. They may be doing something else, taking a jog, taking a walk. Is there a resource where somebody can print this out and say, okay, this Saturday I'm going to take advantage of this. I'm going to, I'm going to go to confession. I'm going to do the following. Where can they get info and, and, and unpack that for us if you could? You can, you can go to our website, Bloor and look at our um, How to Live the Fatima Message, the first Saturday, Saturday devotion information is there. If you do five of them consecutively, because you're making reparation for the five blasphemies, you will obtain the promise that Mary had given us, we call it the great promise, that she would be with you at the time of your death with all the graces necessary for your salvation. And she said, those who take up this devotion will be like flowers placed by me around the, the throne of God. And, and loved especially by him. So she, she's promising the special merits in heaven and that she's going to be with us, making sure we have all the graces we need for our salvation. But most of us who are devoted to Mary, who have consecrated ourselves to her, we do these every month. And this is something St. Louis de Montfort even called for when he was teaching people about the consecration to Jesus through Mary. He said, set aside a Saturday every month to especially honor Mary, and particularly the first Saturday. And so even before the first Saturdays were developed in the church, he was recommending this. And so to, to give honor to Mary on those first Saturdays, just like we give honor to the Sacred Heart, especially on First Fridays, we're making reparation to the two hearts. And be, because of that, we're, we're drawing Mary. Jesus told uh, Lucia that with these devotions, they're the magnet that will draw souls to him. So Mary is herself bringing the souls back to Christ through these devotions and through our reparation. We have to remember that reparation, we're repairing for the sins of others. And yeah. so it's a, it's a wonderful calling to be part of this and to take it up and do it. It's not that hard. Yeah. It's really not that hard. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I agree with you. And I, I want to invite everyone to do it again. Uh, BlueArmy.com. Uh, go there, type in the word First Saturday. It'll bring you to what you need to know. And again, we invite you to go to confession each month, receive 
Holy Communion on five consecutive first Saturdays. Recite the five decades of the rosary on that first Saturday. That's this coming Saturday. And just meditate for 15 minutes on the mysteries of the rosary. A great promise is, you know, uh, all those actions are done with the intention to make reparation for the offenses committed against the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And I know God's going to hear this because, you know, we started talking about how you know, good ultimately conquers evil and, and how prayer changes things. Our Lady in Fatima said this, didn't she? she? She said that in the end, my immaculate heart will triumph. So it really is a message of hope and not one of fear. Barbara, we're going to give you the final thoughts. Well, God has given us Mary during this time, and she is she is so much more um, visible and prominent in the church and in our world, and she's interceding. And I, I think it's such a great gift to us that he that she is so prominently part of our world and she is interceding but we we need to join with her we can't just sit back and say she's going to do it all she wants our help well thank you for such a beautiful message and for sharing with us as you often do barb Uh, i'm going to stop in the chapel i'll say a prayer for you right now okay and remember us and i invite everyone please consider first saturdays go to bluearmy.com until our passing in cross kind of my deepest prayers remember god loves you And so do I. Have a great day.